Welcome back this evening. On Sunday nights, if you're a guest or if you've not been here for a while, uh, we are in a textual study through the book of going through the book of Luke called Life with Luke. And our goal is to simply go through Luke's account of Jesus's life and look at the lessons that he wanted us to notice and some things that we can take and apply in our own lives. Tonight, I want to ask you uh, this question. What are you like when you are not well? How are you when you are sick? What kind of a patient are you? Are you a stubborn patient? I know that there are many who serve in the medical field that are often labeled as stubborn patients. They don't like to be, they like to be tending to people who get sick. They don't like being sick and they're not good at it and they're not good at hearing advice and being told what to do. Uh, maybe you're a dramatic when you're sick. I mean, the world just comes crashing down and you need every sort of thing tended to and you just completely, totally collapse. Maybe you're a functional sick person. You're sick. Maybe some of you here tonight, you're sick, but you're pressing on. You don't, doesn't matter what kind of plague you spread around church. You're just coming on anyway and, and going to keep spreading it. Um, maybe you're a hermit. You just withdraw from everything and Retreat to your bed and hide under your covers and and just write it out. Believe it or not, there are some lessons about being sick and about Jesus dealing with the sick that uh, we certainly know from Jesus' life and his ministry. But we're going to hopefully learn a little more in depth tonight and maybe find some lessons for us all. If you've ever been sick, tonight's lesson is for you even if you aren't currently sick. And uh, if you are currently sick, what are you doing here? Just seriously, what, what, why? Um, go home and get well. In these accounts of serving the sick, we learn more than just about the sick. We learn about the heart of the great physician. So turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and following. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once, and she began to wait on him. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. As we focus on Jesus, there are some things that we can learn about his heart and about our lives as well. These seven verses from Luke chapter 4 have more than a few lessons for us. Uh, Just a couple that we'll highlight tonight. Number one, Jesus cared for the sick. Um. 
And I put the emphasis on care. I didn't say he was around the sick. I didn't say he ministered to the sick. He cared for the sick. There's a difference between being around someone who's sick and identifying, oh, you're sick, I've been there, versus wanting to, who, be, being a person who genuinely cares about the person who's sick. If you're a parent, you understand this. Uh, when, when everybody else is sick, you identify. When, you're, when your child is sick, or when a grandchild is sick, you, you begin to almost take that personally. You, you don't want them to hurt, so you'll do almost anything. You care for the sick. Jesus spent a lot of his time caring for the sick. Someone once said that Jesus spent his time primarily in two ways, teaching God's word and tending to God's people. And uh, the person telling me this said, that's a pretty good model for ministry. When you use your time to spend in God, time in God's word and with God's people. And, and I think that's pretty good wisdom. Um, as I think about personality traits, there are people who are naturally gifted in one or the other. I, I use the language of there are people-oriented people and there are task-oriented people. Now, personally, I'm a task-oriented person. So how I become a people-oriented person is by carrying around with me a list of people that I need to care about. People that need our prayers, people that need visited in the hospital, people that, see, and so I make caring and tending to a task. There are other people who are people-oriented people and they are, ex- they just excel when they're around people. Now they're not necessarily task oriented they're not always you know getting things done and not always doing things in a certain order but they're they're good with people we understand that there are, there are people who naturally gravitate towards one or the other and neither one is right or wrong god made us all in different ways the point i want to make here is jesus was perfectly both and we'll see this tonight jesus cared about people jesus was great with people We talked about on Wednesday night class, was Jesus a joyful person? We have so many pictures of Jesus that's pretty serious and almost mad looking. There's a few pictures out there of Jesus laughing. And there's a a NIV um, video of Jesus' life that's straight from the book of Matthew. I mean, word for word, you can follow it with NIV 84. The guy who played Jesus in that particular uh, rendition of Matthew took a, a choice in playing Matthew that was unique. And it was this, he smiled all the time. Like nearly every verse he was smiling, every word he said, even the hard things he said while smiling. He started to think about that. Well, how do we know that to be true? Well, Jesus attracted people. That doesn't usually happen to people who are grouchy and angry all the time. And Jesus certainly uh, drew a crowd even of children, little kids. Little kids have a pretty good gut instinct for people who like them and people who don't. So... Jesus was good, and he was natural at both. He, he was good with God's people, and he was certainly good with God's word. So um, when we talk about caring for the sick, not everyone cared. And certainly in our world, not everyone cares today. But back then, there were no hospitals. The chronically sick really had no place to go. Most of the tending to the sick happened within a village or happened within the household, and Often, the people who are chronically, seriously sick uh, with violent, contagious things had to be isolated and ostracized. 
uh, even God's own law prescribed just for the for the health and safety of the people in the community that they lived in to make sure and separate at certain times for certain leprosies, one example, but there were several others. Jesus passed all those barriers as he tended and cared for sick people. Uh, Jesus could have, if you think about it, and we know he did it on a couple of occasions, where he could have said a word, he could have just thought it to heal someone, and a few times he did. But many times he put his hands on them, he cared for them, he took time with them. And so Jesus showed he cared by more than just his words. They appealed to her, uh, this is, um, uh, let's see here, verse 38. So Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from this high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. Obviously, Jesus uh, knows Simon Peter, and uh, Simon Peter, hey, hey, I know somebody who might be able to help you. And so they asked Jesus to help. And so Simon Peter's clearly married, uh, just a little side note there. And there were often people who continually, I mean, certainly when Jesus showed his ability to heal and to, to tend to a physical malady or suffering, you know that that just by itself was going to draw a crowd, right? I mean, that, that in and of itself, if, if someone at Northside had that ability, that person would be a pretty popular person if you, they had just the ability to lay a hand on or say a word. And so people were constantly being brought to Jesus um, in another account, Matthew, don't turn there, um, don't, turn, don't do any extra Bible study on Sunday night. Uh, chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. Matthew's a little more specific. Of course, Luke, being the good doctor, gives us uh, several instances of Jesus working with the sick, but... Uh, just to highlight the point that, that Jesus was showed himself different, not just in that he, he could, that he had the ability to heal those who were sick, but that he desired to, that he cared enough to, to touch the leper, to reach out and lay his hands on the sick. As, as she, he rebukes the fever, Jesus is able to... Um, Correct the problem, get her better, and she responds. She, she heals, is healed almost instantly. And then once interesting here that Luke points out is as soon as the fever left her, she got up at once and began to wait on them. So she doesn't remain sick. Um, she continues, she uses the caring that Jesus showed her and then begins to care and tend to the needs of other people. And I think that's good. Uh, we think about this. We can't identify in the sense that very little, I mean, I've never seen this happen, where someone's been legitimately sick and we just said a prayer or did a laying on of hands and they were instantly healed. But there are times you pray for people and they do get better. It's within the will of God and they improve. And if you've been a person on the receiving end of people caring for you physically or spiritually or so forth, my question is, how have you responded to that? How, how have you then turned that and allowed yourself to be a person who would care and tend for the the sick who are in your life or in the life of the church family. Some sick people are perpetually sick. We, we understand that. I mean, the, 
you and I know people that they just always got something. You know, there's always, and, and it's, I think it's the hypochondriac. It's just this one who is obsessed about being sick. And of course, our ma- mass amount of information and knowledge in WebMD does not help that situation. But there, from a spiritual perspective, there are spiritual hypochondriacs as well. That those who have been healed, been forgiven, and yet they never rise. They never, they never go about the business of being well and living well. Imagine if Simon Peter's mother-in-law had been healed. You know, she has no fever. She's perfectly fine, but she just continues to lay there. Oh, that'd be terrible. It would be a terrible stewardship of the gift that she had just been given. When we are thinking spiritually now, don't relish in the sickness. Relish in the healing. Take up your mat. Uh, there are some folks who are spiritually bedridden. They can't get. They can't forgive themselves of that which God has forgiven them of. They refuse to move on. They refuse to let go of the past. They just carry it with them as a as a burden that's just heavier and heavier. And God never intended them to pick up that burden. He's dropped it into the depths of the sea. So. Um, an example of this. Another time, Jesus met a chronically sick man. He was he was had a real chronic condition. But before he healed him, he asked him a very important question. And I want to just take this little side exit. And the question was, "Do you want to get well?" This is John chapter five or six. I'm sure you remember my sermon on it from last year, no doubt. Um, John chapter five or six. There's, the, there's this man who's been paralyzed mostly his whole life. He's at the pool of Bethsaida, and um, he's lying there, and he's just given up. You can just sense this. Everybody else gets in the pool. He's not able to get there. For some reason, he's able to heal when he gets in the pool, and Jesus gets there, and he's like, before I do this, do you want to get well? And there's a reason Jesus asked him that question, because he knew there was something in the man that had given up that had lost his hope. So let me reflect that question to you. And we're, again, we're not talking about physical illness now. I'm talking about the spiritual sins and sufferings and the maladies that you suffer from. My question is, do you want to get well? Or do you just identify yourself in Christ as that which you struggle in or with? I'm not saying disavow your struggles. I'm saying there's a difference between living a healed life versus being perpetually sick. Jesus didn't want those he healed to live as though they had not been. As, Jesus, as Luke draws attention again and again and again toward the sick, as, as, the great, as the physician here draws attention toward the great physician and his heart for those who are sick physically and spiritually, there are some lessons for us. Number one, the healthy, those of us who are in Christ and who have been healed and forgiven and who are moving forward, we should work at, at showing patience and tenderness, mercy and compassion on the sick. Okay, Some of, uh, and a very few, but, but I've known some really bad doctors. I've not known them, but I've met them because I only went to visit them one time. And they, may, they had all the right information, but their bedside manner was terrible. Um. There are some in Christ who 
for some reason or another, have lost that tenderness and patience and compassion with the sick that they themselves were shown by someone else. And if you're there, then that's that's a heart check moment. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I know we're jumping a little bit out of Luke, but um, if you don't like that, then you preach the sermon. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 is instruction to those who are healthy. And Paul writes these words. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. As we said, there's some people who relish being the prodigal. They just, that's just all they see themselves. They never remember that the prodigal came home. He returned. He left that. But there is a danger for those who are healthy is that you can get sick while tending to the sick. The, this is the other extreme. There's at one extreme, there's people who have no tenderness, no compassion, no mercy. And the, the, the other extreme is people who have far too much. The irony is they get sick while trying to tend to the sick. We, we want to make sure they, that they are seeking true healing and they're, they're really trying to get well, that they want to get well. Not, and that's the second thing to understand is not, every, not everyone wants to get well. That's a strange concept, but there are some people who do not want to get well. Uh, illustration of this, uh, I, I like to listen to the financial radio host Dave Ramsey. He's been doing that show now for a long time. So he's he's a master at taking a caller's, you know, what their problem is, diagnosing it, and, and getting, you know, he handles callers in about three to four minutes. It's really quite a skill. The, the problem with that is that people are involved, right? And you get a live radio show and people are calling in and they want to, they've got all of their problems they want to give you and, and they're bemoaning just their financial struggles that they're in and, and all of uh, the, the unnecessary details that go along with that. And, and so sometimes he'll be patient with that, but at some point he'll say, how can I help you today? He's gently, tenderly saying, I want to help you, but how can I help you today? In other words, I can't get into all that. I, I got this radio show and, and you're calling in on the air. How can I help you? Sometimes they will give them advice and then they begin listing all the reasons why that won't work. And he'll say something to the effect, I wish you the best. You called me asking for my opinion. You know, it's like going to the doctor and the doctor says, and you say to the doctor, I'm sick. And the doctor says, I have just the saying, just take this medicine. And the patient says, I don't like that medicine. What does the doctor do with that? You know? See your way to the receptionist. I've done all I can. In, in some way, we, we have to, in working with sick people, we really must be careful that we who are spiritual don't get drawn into sickness and drama and unnecessary things. And Jesus was really good at that. And then after you're healed, don't just don't relish in the story of what you were healed from. Relish in the story 
of what you're healed to. In other words, thinking about it from this morning's lesson, leave your sickness behind and then seek to serve someone else. It's a, a wonderful example. A young lady that I know had a, a baby that was born and didn't live very long. Very sad story. Heartbreaking, heart-wrenching. No parent wants to think about that. And we say, God forbid, every time we mention it. We, we wouldn't want anyone to have to go through that. But some people do. And this young lady, just amazing. Now, I know she still carries that wound, and she always will. But she used her grief... And this baby, her son that was born, was a preemie. And so she began to notice that there were no, not enough uh, preemies for babies that were born that little. And so she began to make some preemie clothes and get others involved in making preemie clothes. And and soon it became a whole ministry. It's amazing. See, she didn't relish in the sickness She relished in the healing and moved forward with what Jesus would call her to do. With being healed, you have an opportunity to give hope. And don't miss that. When you're healed of something, great opportunity to give hope to someone else. A a good example of this is, of course, at Northside, um, and we have... Many people who live this out, but Celebrate Recovery is a great example of of that kind of ministry. There are people who come in who are sick, who who learn Christ-centered, Christ-focused recovery straight from the Word. And then, as they proceed through the healing process, they say, I'm a firm believer in Jesus Christ. Here's what I've been healed from. And then they use that as a ministry to help others to heal from those things, from those hurts and those habits and those hang-ups. And that's, that's great. That's the kind, that's the way we should be who are in Christ. Not just focusing on, oh, I've been healed. That's wonderful. Not relishing in the sickness. Oh, how terrible. But on looking for the opportunity to give hope to those who hurt. Why, why does this matter? Well, um, in the scripture, it says, going back to Luke chapter 4, when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now, I just reach out to this little phrase as the sun was setting, okay? The Sabbath is over, and the people now are, now that they can do more than they could do on the Sabbath, they instantly go to Jesus. But there's another word here that's coming out of this, which is it does not stop for Jesus. Jesus could have spent every single day, every, every single hour caring for the sick and healing those who need healing, but, but he, he would have done that and missed out on his mission and his purpose. You see, his, his goal was not... Short-term healing. All, all the people who, who Jesus healed 
you, you understand, have now died. Short-term healing. Healing, no, no doubt, but short-term. Jesus' Jesus' mission was longer than that, and it was about the long-term healing. There is nothing wrong with doing good. That's the work of the church, discipleship and helping people and, you know, tending to God's people. That's good. But sometimes in working with the sick, we can forget that's our short-term mission. We have a longer-term mission, and Jesus had a longer-term mission as well. There's one more important thing that we learn from this, is that Jesus cared for his soul. Now, you get this picture, okay? He's healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He's got these crowds of people who are coming in, uh, bringing to him every kind of sickness, have every kind of need under the sun, uh, people that need demons driven out. And in the middle of all of this, we get this cool note from, from Luke in verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Now, I don't know if that, because the way I read that, maybe this is not what Luke intended, but the way I read that, as when the sun was setting, so the end of Sabbath, and then they're bringing him this crowd of people, and he doesn't get to go to a solitary place, place till morning, till daybreak. Jesus has spent literally the whole night. I know technically nothing good happens after midnight, but in this case, something good was happening after midnight, and that was Jesus was healing people. That's just a unique circumstance. But at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Why did he do that? Was there not where people all healed? Was it all taken care of? Was he done? No. No, surely not. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. This is interesting to me, that Jesus, Son of God, took time to care for his own soul. To not neglect his relationship with the Father. Keep in mind, this is Jesus But his relationship with the Father, now that he was incarnate, was different than what it was when he was in in spirit. And so when he was in the flesh, he had to maintain, like you and I do, he had to work at his relationship with the Father. Because of the whole spirit and flesh thing, and there are different worlds and all of that. So to do that, he left the crowd. And he withdrew, he withdrew from people who are sick and needy, and had legitimate problems that he could solve. Jesus left ministry to pursue God. That sounds weird to say. The people would always be in need. And just a personal lesson here, God's word and God's people will ironically keep you from God if you if you let them. You can be so distracted by doing the short-term good that you forget about the long-term goal, which is your relationship with your Father. Don't misunderstand me. God's Word and God's people need to be tended to and taken care of. But Jesus understood there was a time for that, and there was a time to leave that so that he might focus on God, his Father. 
He prioritized that, and he didn't leave God out. And, and, and if you just think about it, God's word and God's people, in both of those cases, it's God that's the first. And I think to be an effective minister, whether you're you know, full-time or you're volunteer, you have to keep God first, even as you do ministry. So, so what is the, the, the lesson, the takeaway for us as we boil this down? Here's the takeaway from Jesus' example. You've got to live on purpose. Jesus says in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Another translation, Jesus says, I was sent for this purpose. Jesus lived on purpose. He knew what his purpose was from the moment, and he didn't get distracted, even, by the way, by good things, by necessary things, but he stayed on purpose. He stayed true and resolute to what his purpose was. Every sermon he preached directed them to the kingdom. Every sick person he healed was pointed back toward the king. Jesus never forgot who he was, even the demons knew that in this account, you're the son of God. Jesus never forgot who sent him, his father, and he never forgot why he was sent, which was to seek and to save the lost. Luke tells us that very clearly, that that was the entire mission of Jesus, was to seek and to save the lost. Did he do healings? Yes. Did he Did he transform people's lives? Certainly. Did he teach God's word? Absolutely. But his goal, his mission, was to seek and to save the lost. And he couldn't do that apart from the Father. And because he remembered who he was and who sent him and why, he kept on. He kept teaching, he kept tending, he kept caring, and he set out resolutely toward Jerusalem and toward the cross where he would lay down his life. May we live on purpose. May we not forget that God has a purpose and a mission for us. May we always remember who we are, who made us, and what our purpose is, what our mission is. And may we stay focused on that mission. And as we are in Jesus, as we, as we seek to lead people to Jesus, couple things to remember. Number one, true healing comes from Jesus. You meet a sick person, and I'm talking about spiritually sick. Best thing in the world to do is to make a beeline for Jesus. Scott Decker was telling me just tonight before we, before we began worship about his conversations with some Mormons. And he said, I'll just open to the book of John. He said, I, I really believe the sooner I can introduce them to Jesus... No matter what religion they are of, there I can do the most good. And he's exactly right. May we be about that. And may we not forget what our mission is, is not for us to be the Savior, but for us to lead them to the Savior. Tonight, if you don't know the Savior, be happy to make that introduction. Uh, If you don't know, the Savior said this, to be saved, you must believe in me, to believe in Jesus, and to be immersed into his name. If you have not done that, and you would like to do that, I'd be glad to help you with that. 
And if you are in Christ, and maybe you could use our prayers or encouragement, or maybe, maybe just maybe you've lost your focus, you've forgotten your mission or your purpose, if we can help realign you to that, bring you back to the Father in some way, we'd be glad to help. Whatever needs you might have, if you have one, please come as together we stand and sing.